0: So I'm, I'm, so this series that we're starting today on John the Baptist, which I've never, I don't even know if I've ever preached a sermon on John the Baptist, much less a series on John the Baptist. I don't know. Has anybody ever heard a series on John the Baptist? Anybody? Okay, we got a few. Wesley, stop it. and uh, And... and so, you know, I mean, the thing is, and maybe part of the reason is because he uses like a word we don't like to use. He uses a few words we don't like to use, words like sin and repent, you know, things like that. We don't, we don't like to use those anymore. They, they, they're a bit, they're, they're maybe a little bit heavy and uh, we're not, you know, like, I'm not sure about that. Um, and, and he was not like a, always the most politically correct. He, he was very strong in what he spoke and what he wanted to speak and what he believed God had put him on the earth to do. And so I, I just, several weeks ago, just felt like, this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about John the Baptist. We are on our way to Easter after all, and on our way to Easter we are to prepare the way for Jesus. Amen? And that was John the Baptist's whole calling. And, and so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to spend just a few minutes uh, talking about this topic of disrupt. And we'll do it over the next few weeks. And we'll probably hang most of the time in Matthew 3, although you can hear and see things about John the Baptist in other Gospels. But I want to just hang out in Matthew for these, uh, this first day at least, and most likely for the rest of the series. And uh, I'm really excited about it. We're just going to spend a few minutes here uh, talking about this man that... Um, that maybe it was a little weird, a little strange. Probably not as strange as we make him out to be, uh, but, but definitely had some quirks to him. Uh, ate locusts, after all. And, um, but sometimes your willingness to eat whatever you got is what sets you apart, you know? Uh, makes, you, makes you someone that people will notice. Um, heck, I could, I'm a preacher, after all. I can make that illustration work. You know, We don't live on bread alone, but by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. What are you eating? Hey, come on now. That was a good transition. Y'all ain't giving me credit for that. And uh, I know it's spring break and you lost an hour. So just take a second. Prepare yourself. Pastor Becca already said, are you ready? Y'all did not give her a good enough answer. She kept asking, are you ready? All right. Because, listen, sometimes you walk into a gym and a personal trainer's there, and it it is not up to him to be the one that brings all the energy. You kind of have to make a decision before you walk in the gym that you're ready to lift some weight, right? That you're ready to do whatever they ask you to do. And it might be hard. It might not always be easy. They'll pat you on the back. They'll encourage you. But at some point, you got to decide, this is what I'm going to do, right? And so you made the decision this morning to be here when you could have gained that hour back and slept an extra hour. In fact, some of you might have done that, um, and that's fine. I'm glad you missed worship. That's why I had a list to come up and give you another, another part of it. Matthew chapter 3, and I, I'm going to read it off the screen here. Go ahead and throw that up there. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent. Everybody say, repent. repent. Oh, man. You know it's going to be good when we start talking about the word Repent. Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, speaking of John the Baptist, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. John himself, this is where it gets fun, had a camel hair garment, as you do, with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. I love that the honey was wild. The locusts were tamed and domesticated. <laughs> then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the vicinity of the Jordan were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. See, it's, we're already using words. We don't, like, Now, so here's John the Baptist, and if you notice at the beginning of this little portion of Matthew chapter 3, it says, in those days. Now, there's a, there's a, there's tends to be, and this is the way people typically categorize it, which is probably not incredibly accurate but it's saying in those days because for about 400 years there hadn't been a whole lot of talk from the prophets there weren't a lot of people preaching or talking about God In about the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew talking of John the Baptist there was there was kind of this gap of of 400 years now the truth is that silence is not always a bad thing Okay, But it's also a misleading thing. The idea that somehow God was not working in the midst of the silence is, is, is a bit of a misnomer. The idea that just because God was silent that he was inactive is, is not true. In fact, during those 400 years, there were several prophetic things that were answered. That, that The pe- people of Israel went under two different rules. There, there were a bunch of things that, were, that happened that were prophesied about even in the midst of a prophet not preaching. Sometimes silence is not there to make you feel like God's not working or not speaking, but is actually there to make you focus on what he has already said. So sometimes our biggest issue is that we're waiting for a new word from God. God, speak to us. God, speak to us. And he's going, no, no, I've already done that. I need you to hear what I've already said. Silence is there to make you focus. In fact, if you went through the Bible, you'd find that there's a lot of places God isn't talking He's not talking about every issue that ever happened on the earth. What he is talking about is that in the midst of every issue, in the midst of every challenge, in the midst of every season, the supremacy of Christ and who he is and where this story is going towards Christ and in us is still the same. That nothing that has happened has changed God's mysterious plan, as Paul calls it, to reveal Christ in us. So the silence, in in some ways, is more of a setup, so that you would make sure that you are focusing on the things that matter most. I know that's not like I know you're going. Well, I would just can we just have him speak all the time, never stop? And I'm not I'm not kind of propagating this idea that somehow God is not speaking to you and that the Holy Spirit is not leading you and that, the, that somehow you're going to go weeks and weeks and weeks and God is just not going to say anything. But I think sometimes what happens is we think the Bible is not God's word. We think it's a nice book. It's not really what it is. In fact, it's not even just one book. It's many, many, many books from many authors speaking about the same person, speaking about the same thing, lifting up the name of Jesus, pointing everyone towards Christ, And in that, speaking on behalf of God, that we might hear him and know him and know his character and know who he is as he he walks the people of Israel through difficult things, right? And as he sends Christ to, to die for our sins and to be risen again for life and life overflowing. So the silence is not there necessarily for us to think that we are missing out or somehow we've missed the mark. It's actually an opportunity for us to focus in on what he's already spoken, And so John the Baptist shows up. And what people had kind of allowed to happen is they, they'd created some systems. So you have this group of people called the Sadducees who didn't think really religion belonged in the secular square. They kind of just believed that government was left to government. And they, they, But they had, a, obviously, Jewish culture, so they had some messianic things about it. They understood uh, what they were waiting for. And, and then they had the Pharisees who were very much about religion, very much about the rules and regulations and fulfilling the law and doing all the things in order. But both were pretty strong. Both were were were. were authoritative in their day and, and both had and so they had created this system over 400 years of how this was going to look even under uh, dominant reign by other people in fact Jesus shows up in the midst of being ruled by another people Israel was not even free at this moment in, in really in its fullness it was it was it was ruled by another people and so uh, so Jesus even shows up in that but but there's this system that had been built and John the Baptist shows up in the desert with wild locusts, no sorry the locusts were domesticated it showed up with locusts and wild honey and 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 begins to preach this new message and there's this phrase nowadays that that gets used a lot uh, primarily in the tech industry and it's just this word disruptor anybody ever heard that if you read fortune or 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 any of these other business magazines you you would find this word disruptor has anyone ever stayed in a house that was not yours and treated it like a hotel anybody use an airbnb yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like, wait, that's, conf- oh, that is what that is. That is weird. I'm staying in someone else's house and treating it like it's a hotel. Has anyone had gotten in someone else's car that you've never met in your life and you have no idea who they are or what problems they have or where they really want to take you and just paid them through an app on your phone? Anybody ever done an Uber or a Lyft? Anybody? Okay. I mean, the idea, this idea of disruptor is people who would come in and they would see an industry that has been dominated, a market that's been dominated by a certain way of doing things and by a certain set of rules and by you can't do this a different way and you would see these people come in and show up and completely disrupt the system and disrupt the industry and create a new niche and a new way of doing things and the truth is it makes everyone better. We we kind of resisted at first because that means you have to change the rules a bit, but but in fact it actually makes everyone better and the idea of disrupting is not just interrupting it's not just stopping what is being done it's actually changing what is being done and so this airbnb Lyft, whatever you want to call it, all over the place you're getting mcdonald's delivered to you are you kidding <laughs> like i mean what is going on and 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 so I like we and it's disrupted the way we do things. And so you get lawsuits filed, and you get, well, you can't pick people up. It's it, why? Because we, we do that. That's not a good enough reason. And so this this disruptor idea. And here's what I love about the idea it wasn't, it's not coined by San Francisco or Silicon Valley. It's, it's all throughout the Bible. I mean, every person who shows up in the Bible is not just interrupting something. It's actually disrupting something. Because to disrupt it means to break it down. Again, it's not just to to intervene, but it's actually to break down what is being done and bring back. And see, that's the problem with our country right now, in my opinion. Is we love to deconstruct things without giving any foundation or vision for reconstruction. And and, and they steal that idea. And and this is the the whole generation and really a culture that wants the kingdom without the king, wants the rights and the human value, and the humanity of things without understanding where that, act, that idea actually comes from. Because if you go to every other place that is not influenced by the good news of Jesus Christ, you find people who are still, well you're on this cast and you're this system, and you're not, you can't even possibly move up, because you were born into this family, into this way, and there's no chance for you. Everywhere the gospel has gone, it has brought everyone back to a place of equality, so that Jesus could be the center of all people. Right, and 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 so we we tend to deconstruct. And the prophets of old, in fact, you just see this in John the Baptist in the Old Testament. You would see the prophets; they would actually they would actually bring correction to the people of Israel. They they weren't always about all the other people. I mean, they spoke about that, but what they really were doing was going, "Hey, Israel, get it together! You are the you are the bride of Christ. You are the chosen people. You have a calling on your life. Get it together." and in celebrating and correcting. And so there's this kind of self-correction part of us that's born in us, that it's part of who we are as a culture, as the United States even, to the point where we will see what other countries are doing and still talk bad about ourselves. We will still get on to us. Why? Because there's this self-correction that is built into who we are because we are born out of a movement of God. We are born out of the gospel of good news. We, we, we are born out of that, and so we self-correct. The problem is, is when you lose the redemption of Christ in that, when you lose the king, when you lose the vision and the authority and the power, then all you're doing is deconstructing, self-loathing, hating everything about yourself without the redemption of Christ to bring you into newness of life. Anybody notice a country that looks like that a little bit? We just hate everything. We're just this is bad and this is bad and this is we should tear down. This is all been. But there should be a redemption somewhere along the line where we go, okay, how does Christ bring this back to new life? and, And so John the Baptist is even coming in, and while he's watching all the Romans do everything they're doing, and all the crucifixions and all the things that they're doing to people, he's coming back and coming to the Jewish people going, repent. Isn't that interesting? Because the first priority for us is people to make sure that we are following Jesus fully, that we know who he is, that we are being led by him, that we are in a place of confession, that we are in a place of humility, but we are also in a place of confidence and power in the renewal and redemption of Christ. Right? so So John the Baptist shows up. He's a disruptor. He he is not just doing things the way things have been done. For 400 years, these new systems have been developed. And and, and in fact, nothing that was ever said to be developed, these guys just kind of decided this is what they were going to do, these Pharisees and Sadducees and kind of running the place. and, And so John the Baptist shows up in the desert. I love that. I love that he shows up in the desert. I love that God shows up in a place where no one expected to be refreshed, and that's where people are flocking to find something fresh. I love that John the Baptist shows up in a place with, uh, with locust and wild honey, camel hair outfit. I'm gonna look into one of those, man. I just like, and, and, and begins to preach this message. I want you to hear this. He's preaching, repent. You can sum up John the Baptist's message the same way Matthew does. He only gives John the Baptist credit for saying one thing, repent, the kingdom is near. John the Baptist was a disruptor. But that was his whole purpose. In fact, if you were to look at what are the the few things that a disruptor always has, I'll give you three, and I'm going to start them all with the same letter because that's what preachers do well. (laughs) We know how to use the alphabet. Right? And we make words work even when they technically probably don't. Okay? But I think the first thing is that it's purpose, not ego. John the Baptist was driven by purpose. He knew who he was called to be. He knew he was made, like Isaiah says, in fact, you see Matthew reference Isaiah, the one who would stand in the wilderness crying out, shouting out, that there's this purpose for him, that he was made to prepare the way for Jesus. And he knew that. And instead of showing up in the city, putting on the robes that everyone else wore and doing all the stuff that everybody else did, and he stood out in the desert. And called people to himself and said, hey, and in fact, you would see this in another gospel. You would see him begin to say things like, this is the one who would baptize you. He is far greater than I. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with fire. And that doesn't sound great, but I promise it is. It's good, and he's, gonna, and he's going to empower you, and he's going to bring life. He's so much greater. And then he goes on to say, I must decrease. Jesus must increase. So many times people have used that to act like you should disappear. That is not what he is saying here. He's saying the role has shifted. My, what I used what I was doing is now no longer the necessary thing what now is necessary is for people to begin to follow Jesus and so it does not mean that John the Baptist was not necessary or unimportant in fact Jesus called him the greatest the greatest that's what Jesus called John the Baptist so obviously he was a significant piece in the history of God right but he, he was not trying to say, John the Baptist, you disappear. You're, just, you're, you're worth nothing. No, he was simply saying the role has shifted. It is not our job to save people, but it is our job to prepare the way for Jesus, to save them, to love them, to, to serve them, to bring them into new life. Amen? Amen. And so this, this idea, I love that, that John the Baptist shows up. So, th- so this idea of purpose, not ego. I'm not here to, to, to go, what's up? This is me. I'm a I'm, man. I actually do good works for the glory of God, as Paul would say it. Right? Jesus even says, do your good works so that they might glorify your Father in heaven. And so this is purpose part. It's so important. It's why the best-selling book beyond the Bible is Purpose Driven Life. Because we yearn for purpose. We don't like to admit it. In fact, what we've done is we've gone to the other extreme. Because we find it so hard to find purpose outside of Christ. Because Jesus says that your calling is wrapped up in Jesus. Like there is no you without him. And because we found it so hard to do it without him, because it's impossible, we've gone to the other extreme of going, just have fun. Don't worry about life. Just do whatever you want to do. And I've just found that even when I just have fun all day, I still want some fulfillment. At the end of the day, I still want to be fulfilled. I can have fun while being fulfilled, but I really do want fulfillment. We search for purpose in our life. So many things being put out now about your calling and your purpose and who you're called to be. And I know sometimes we... uh, We attach that calling word to career. Your calling is your career. That's not true. It's just not. Some of you, because what happens is either you're either limiting your calling because of the career you're in, or you're putting all your worth in the career you're in, and when you lose it, you think you have no calling. Calling is is who you are. Your job is just your assignment. So you might be a teacher for a season. You might be a but whatever it is. Your assignment is where you get to use your calling so John the Baptist is this preacher, and he's probably well-known. I mean, the fact that people were flocking to the desert, they didn't do that just because they wanted to see his camel hair suit. I mean, although I would say that if I started eating locusts on a Sunday morning, I feel like you'd invite more friends. And, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, you got to come see him. He eats locusts and then says amen. It's weird. Um, but the idea that, that he had a purpose to him, he knew who he was. I think the second thing is passion. I mean, you have to have, disruptors have this passion about who they are and what they're doing. Just this Just, man, unquenchable passion. And I love that the description of John the Baptist, the prophetic word about John the Baptist in Isaiah is one where it says he was shouting in the wilderness. I love that. It doesn't say he was just talking in the wilderness. He wasn't just speaking in the wilderness. He was crying out. He was shouting in the wilderness. I love that. As you might notice from how we worship and what we do here, and maybe even me on the front, you know, sometimes I move so far forward that I'm on the stage, Um, I, I just, passion is something that I think should be evident in the church, in the body of Christ, and I know we all have our own personalities, I get it, but passion, passion, passion for who Jesus is, passion for the fullness of Christ in us, passion for it, there should, there should be something that causes us to shout a little bit, causes us to cry out a little bit, causes us to not be silent, and it, because it is built into us to be worshipers, and in our worship, we discover our identity. What we worship identifies us. We've got to break the cycle of worshiping things that identify us in the wrong way so that we'll stop being frustrated about the things that people call us. Let us worship God. Let us worship Christ. Let us worship who he is with passion, with all that we are. And then the third thing, the third thing would be peculiar. Disruptors see things differently. They just, see, they just don't see it the same way as everybody else. They they just don't see it as everyone else sees it. They don't see, in fact, Romans 12 says what? Do not be conformed, which basically means fit into the shape of what everyone else is doing, but be transformed, which is a completely new thing. Conforming is nothing new. It's just changing your shape a little bit. So you're still trying to be who you are while trying to look like someone else, and that is the most difficult place to live. But be transformed into a newness of life, into who God's called you to become, right? Be transformed because you see things differently. Now, here's the challenge with seeing things differently. You will be seen differently. The challenge with seeing things different is that people will see you different. And sometimes we don't like that. We don't want to look peculiar. We don't want to be the dude wearing camel hair, eating locusts, shouting, repent. We don't want to be that dude. But the truth is, for people to find salvation, we have to be those people. We have to see the city differently. We have to see the church differently. We have to see culture differently. We have to see things differently. And people will look at you and go, why? That's different. Yeah, good. I don't know if you're happy how things are going, but I'm not. I want to see things differently. And I don't care what system has dominated the market for 400 years. I want to disrupt things a bit. I want to to disrupt the silence. See, somebody is waiting for you to disrupt the silence. Someone is waiting for you to disrupt the system. Their system of thought, the way things, they're going about life, the, 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 the despair they just continue to live in, the discouragement they continue to carry, the hurt that they're dealing with, they want you to disrupt it. They need you to disrupt it. Some people thought you were just hired to do the Excel spreadsheets, but what you were hired to do was to disrupt the system. And I'm not talking about Excel. I'm talking about you stepping next to the person and going, hey, I'm with you no matter what you're going through. Well, that's different. Yeah, I know. I, I see you differently. Good. I am different I've got something different in me I ain't wearing camel hair but I definitely believe in someone who died and rose again yeah that's different right I get it good because the world doesn't need some of the same needs more different you're made different to make a difference right that is the whole purpose you are made uniquely you so you could fulfill a role that is uniquely for you, so that you could be a part of the body of Christ and we could see people set free and saved and delivered, blind eyes opened, right? That's what we desire. That's what we hoped for, that you would be a bit peculiar. I don't necessarily mean weird. I just mean don't be like everybody else. Don't do it the way everybody else has done it. Go to bed thinking about how can I do this differently? How can I walk into work differently? How can I raise my kids differently? How can I be a friend differently? How can I show up in the worst moments when everybody else runs in the worst moments? How can I be someone who does things differently? Disrupt the system. Disrupt the silence. Begin to break things down. Now, what did John the Baptist do to disrupt? He didn't just wear weird clothes and eat strange things. The way John the Baptist disrupted the system was by saying a few key words. Right, and I know he said more, but this is kind of what Matthew boiled it down to. He said, and you guys remember this, right? I made you say the word, repent, right? Repent, for the kingdom is near. Now, I understand that we're living Past Christ. In, in other words, that, that he, John the Baptist, was a forerunner, and we are, in many ways, we are uh, living in what Jesus has done that John the Baptist was talking about that he would do. And I, so I understand the difference, but I, understand, I don't think that there's a, a much of a difference in, this, in the fact that we should be people who are forerunners for Christ. We should be people who, in the midst of every situation, are bringing people to a place where Christ can show up in their world. Same with Lazarus, right? So so many times we give Jesus all the credit. (laughs) But when Jesus showed up to Lazarus, you know what he did? He had somebody else remove the stone. Right? He goes, hey, I need someone to move the stone so when I call his name, he comes out and doesn't bump his head on a rock. (laughs) See, I think you and I have to understand Sometimes our whole job is to remove the stone so that when Jesus speaks, life can happen and they can walk into newness. It, does not, it would not have done Lazarus any good to, to be alive and still in a grave. Our whole goal is that we would make sure that we are removing the stone and when Jesus calls their name, they would get up and walk out into a new world, into a new life. We don't need the world to change. We need us to change. So he says this word repent, and I think, I think we hear this word repent, we think of it as a really heavy word, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like even when I made you say it, some of you are like hesitating, oh, repent, like, does that mean I have to do that? Like what does that, what does that mean? I think it's partly because I think we think repent is heavy because we think sin is light. Let me explain that. I think we think sin isn't a big deal. And so we think repentance is heavy because we're trying to repent of something we don't think is a big deal. But when we understand the weight of sin, we look at repentance as salvation. We look at repentance as something that sets us free. We look at repentance as something that fills our soul. Repentance was never meant to be a thing that made you feel bad about what you've done, but to set you up for what you will do. Repentance was something to take, in fact, in the Hebrew language, the word that is used for repentance is a word that could also be translated to go back home. To, to, to go back to what it was originally intended to be, go back to the ideal, go back to the, the way it was created. Repentance was, in so many ways, in fact, you would find this in Peter later on uh, as he writes his letter to the people, it, it, but you, you see this word. In fact, if you, if you read the phrase, repent for the kingdom is near, it is not a word that is focused on what was. Right? If he, if he was focused on the past, he would have said, would have said repent because you're all terrible. He said repent because God's got something that's coming into the earth and you need to be ready for the future that God's called us all into to accept what God has done and to accept what Jesus was going to do. It is a future word. It is a word that sets your spirit and your soul right so you can be set free into what God's called us to live in. So you repent so you can confess who Christ is in you. I want to repent of my disbelief. I want to repent of my sin. And when I realize that sin messes with my soul, and when I realize that sin messes with who I am, and it, it thwarts things, and, and, it, and it messes things up, and it makes me think the wrong things, and it makes me feel bad about these things, and it makes, oh, when we realize that, we realize repentance is actually a freedom word. It is a salvation word. It is a saving word. It is a word that says, I'm getting rid of all that was, and I'm stepping into all that can be, will be, should be, and I'm going to receive all that God's called me into. Are you with me? So repentance, the idea of it is that you would reset, that you would come back home, that you would go back. And that's the whole idea of the prodigal son, isn't it? That I would go back to where God is going to run down, meet me with a greeting and a party because I'm coming back home. I'm coming back to what should be. So John the Baptist was breaking the code. He was disrupting the industry. He was messing with people because he was saying, hey, repent. The kingdom is here. Whether you do it all right, whether you do it all perfectly, whether you fulfill the law, whether you you get all that well done, whether you knock that all out, whether you check every box, he was saying simply repent because the kingdom in Christ Jesus is here. He disrupts the system. That's why just a little bit later on in Matthew, you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees show up, and he gives them such a hard time. He says, who told you you could come out here? Yeah, You're just acting. This is not even real for you. Don't come back until it's for real. Don't come back until you're ready to actually repent. because this is n- You're the one messing everything up. I'm here to disrupt the system. You're just here to kind of find out who this dude is eating locusts. Like that's all you're here to do. I I want people who are realizing that I I can find freedom in Christ. I can find hope in Jesus. That's the goal. That's the desire. And the truth is, for us to disrupt culture and for us to disrupt the system, we have to be people disrupted. We, We have to be people who have had Jesus disrupt our life. To, to, to tear down what was, to tear down the guilt and the shame, to tear down our own system of success, to tear down what we thought uh, amounted to something and allow Him to begin to rework and reshape and renew and transform who we are that we might be a people who disrupt the system in other people's lives. And listen, as we move on towards April 1st, Easter, what I really want to challenge us with is where, what can we disrupt? Not just what can we interrupt. I think Christians are really good at interrupting, right? Just inserting a little phrase here, just inserting a little thing there. I, I want to I want to be a people who disrupt the system and disrupt the silence, break down the things that are holding people back, break down the system that they think works, and begin to bring back into place the home, the place where everything is meant to be, that repentance, the kingdom of God is near, Christ is near near. He is showing up. He has shown up. He is ready to do something in your life if you would simply turn to Him. It's why the word repent is so hard to define sometimes. We use all these different phrases. It means to turn from, or it means to go back home, or it means... To, the, the, the word is so big. It's so full of life and hope. It was never meant to be a word that carried so much weight and so much difficulty and so much... Like it's, it's not meant to be that. It's not a burdensome word. In fact, it's a word that is meant to release burden. It's meant to set you free of what was. Amen? That's what it's for. So my, my, my hope for us, especially today, is that we'd understand that we would be disrupted people. That we would not get conformed to the patterns of this world. The daily in and out of life. Just to do this, do that, wake up, knock it out, get to work come home, have some dinner, go to bed, like that we would, those are all good, do those things, show up for work tomorrow. I'm not telling you to not show up for work. Well, see, my pastor said, don't do that. What I am telling you is, what is the system that you're building your life upon? How can Christ disrupt that system? How can Christ disrupt what you do? what, What are you defining success as? How are you looking at Jesus? Is he he elevated above all things or is is he just kind of put next to all other things? What can you do to disrupt the silence in your life? And maybe even more so, what can you do to disrupt the silence in someone else? Someone's waiting for God to speak and God sent you. Someone's waiting for someone to give them something different to live by, to live with, to live for, and God sent you. So, you could prepare the way. So, you could be one crying in the wilderness, seeing things differently, so you look a little different, disrupting the system, not allowing things, the status quo, to just kind of be what we do. But to show up and not just interrupt and to stop someone's voice, but to disrupt, to break things down, build them back up in Christ so that people would know who they are. Can we be that church? Can we be those people that show up in people's world where they feel like they've had 400 years of silence? And can we be the disruptors? Can we be people who bring in a new way of doing things? Can we be that? Can we be bold enough to sit out in the desert, just believe God enough that people are gonna show up when you begin to say things like, repent. Get the future in order. Get rid of your past. Step into freedom. Because the sin that so easily entangles you Don't let that stuff get on you anymore. Amen? You with me? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that there's new life in Christ Jesus. I thank you that there's hope. I thank you that there's future. I thank you that you are for us. And maybe for some of us, we have felt like there's been a bit of silence. Maybe for some of us, we felt like there's been a system built into our life, even the good kind, even the religious kind, even the traditional kind. And we've forgotten the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ in us. God, let us be people like John the Baptist who catch a view of our purpose, who give it all we have in our passion, and who are okay being a little bit peculiar because we believe in what you've given us. We believe in who you've made us. We believe. We've been disrupted. What was is no more. All things have become new. And maybe for some of us today, this word repent is a better word than it was an hour ago. This idea of repentance is is not as heavy as it was because we realize what it's actually setting us free from, what it's actually saving us from. What it's actually putting us into, what it's actually bringing us into a place of future and home and ideal and what should be. That's what repentance is. Maybe for some of us today, that's what we need. We need that reset. We need to begin to remember what sin is that it is meant to destroy who we are and what we're called to be and what we're what we're made in the image of and and we we, we just allow it to kind of just sit it's just a mistake it's just well, fine but let's repent of those things and let us get in full view of who christ is because the kingdom of god is near the kingdom of heaven in christ is near and i do not want to let my past my failures my sins my hurts my offenses, those things to get in the way of what God wants to do in me. So God, I repent. I let go of. I move on from. God, bring freedom into my world. And God, maybe for some of us, we've been disrupted in what we want to be as a disruptor. Not in like a mean way or an aggravating way, but in a way that sees people flock to the desert to find something fresh. To find something new to find something life-giving, to find rivers of living water in a place no one thought it existed. God, I pray that the church takes back that mantle. God, that we'd no longer be looked at like a desert where nothing good comes from it, nothing life-giving, nothing healthy. No one wants to go there. God, I pray that we'd be a people who shout about the kingdom. Lord, that we'd be a people that remind people that God made them for a purpose, made them with life, made them with hope, and that there is a God to glorify and a God to worship and a Jesus who died. And rose again. Let us be a church that what used to be looked at as a desert now becomes a place where rivers of living water are flowing out of our lives. Flowing out of who we are. God, I pray every dinner party in our church God, would not just be a meal but it would be family. It would be a people gathering together to lift up Jesus, to walk in new life, to walk in hope to speak about what home looks like, to speak about what you created, what you intended, to speak about the renewal of all things, to make all things new. God, let us see fresh things, even in the midst of a desert. God, I just pray, I think there's, some of us in here who need to go, man, I, I, don't, I don't remember the last time I was disrupted. And I've built some things up in my life. I've built some things. Maybe it's been silence. Maybe it's just been a system. Maybe it's just been the status quo. And God, I, I, I want to break those things down. I want to build this upon the cornerstone of Christ. I want to build this upon the kingdom that is near. I want to build this upon Jesus. A rock that will never be moved. A foundation upon which I can build my house. So for some of us, we need to repent. sounds like a big, difficult word. The reality is it's just simply going, God, I, I apologize for what I've done. I confess what I've dealt with. I give that to you. For you to do with it what only you can do with it. And I embrace the kingdom. I embrace the future. I embrace what should be. I embrace what could be. Lord, disrupt my life, that I can disrupt the system that this world's putting in place around me. Some of you need that. Some of you are going, man, that's me. I, 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 I want to be disrupted. I-, I want to repent. I, I want to stand renewed, refreshed, life overflowing. Baptized in the good news of Christ. Baptized in the Spirit. If that's you and you'd say, yeah, I, I need my life to be a bit disrupted. I think I've settled. I think I've gotten used to the norm. I think I've just embraced the status quo. I want to be disrupted a bit. I'm okay being seen differently. i that to you this morning. There's some boldness and courage to do this, but... Is that you today and you say, I I just want to step into what God's called me to. I want to embrace his forgiveness and his freedom. I want to understand that repentance is a salvation word. It's a future word. It's a life word. And I just, I want to come to Christ fully, completely, give everything. I want him to disrupt what was. Is that you today? Would you just right now, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I want to step into that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just raise your hand. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God disrupts our life. Thank you, man. I see that. Thank you. I see that. Awesome. One more time. Anybody else just going, man, I'm just, I'm tired of the status quo. I'm tired of the norm. Tired of what is. Tired of the same old, same old for me. I want to be disrupted. I want God to just show up in a way that changes me, puts me in a place where I'm bringing fresh life in the middle of a desert, my workplace, my neighborhood, my street. Thank you. I see that. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray right now over every life and over every person. God, I pray that there is a hope and a purpose. God, I pray that they are disrupted. God, I pray that what they've built up and what has been built up in them by other things, God, I pray that those things would be broken down. And God, that there'd be a new thing put in place. And it would not be a system, but it'd be a savior. Not be a program, but it'd be a person. God, it would be Jesus. It would be you. That you would show up and disrupt our life. That we would not allow the normal things, the status quo. God, that we'd live with purpose, and passion, and a little bit of peculiarity. God, that we'd be people living just a bit different. And in that, people would actually find life and hope and peace and strength and purpose and future. God, we repent where we've missed the mark. We repent where we've believed in something other than you. God, and we step into the fullness of your kingdom where you reign, where peace reigns, where joy reigns, where hope lives. God, where life is flowing. God, we live there. We live with you. We live in Christ. God, I thank you for today. Let it be fully and completely yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand up? We're going to sing together. We're going to rejoice. Would you just celebrate those people who raised their hand this morning? Come on, would you just celebrate who they are, what they did? Isn't that awesome? Come on. Good. Let's sing.